Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Masters of Modern. I am here, as always, with Glenn Jones. Hello, everyone. And here we have Ben Bateman of Top Decking Fame. You might know him as Fatality. Also, is a avid musician, among other things, and avid magic player. He's the guy who wears a suit at every single tournament that How's he plays going? in. Gotta respect the suit. What's yeah. going on, everybody? You, I tried to intimidate you with my suit. It probably didn't work. <laughs> I'm on a podcast now. Hello. So today we are talking about two things. As always, the deck tech is going to be Splinter Twin. Uh, and the main subject today is going to be Magic Pro Tour and Major Tournament History. Of Modern. Of modern. Of the modern format. Of the modern format, yeah. Yeah, we did a, a whole episode where we basically kind of explained what modern was, so this episode's going to be about how it kind of came to be what it currently is. Yeah, <laughs> this is the, the the forge that it was molded through, through bannings, pro tour wins, and community cup yeah. shenanigans. <laughs> it was a real crucible. Uh, it started out pretty wild west out there. <laughs> so if anybody's unclear about what the community cup actually is, it's a yearly tournament that is run between Wizards employees and nominated Magic pros, featuring usually some sort of made-up format and a point system. It's kind of more of like an in-fun tournament that sometimes has competitive elements. In 2011, they introduced a format that was upcoming called Modern that was competing with Gavin Verhey's very popular Overextended at the time, which was just a slightly longer, deeper version of Modern. I think it went back like an extra three years. It went, I think it just started at Masks. It, it didn't start that. Or, yeah, it was Masks as opposed to Mirrodin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, the format was born out of those 16, I guess, decks or something? Or Yeah, 16, 8 versus 8. Yeah. Um, I was actually around and you know watching all of these things and keeping up with Gavin, who wasn't at Wizards at the time. Uh, overextended, arguably one of like the largest calling cards for Gavin getting into Wizards, to be honest, because uh, he did a lot of work with that. He ran tournaments on Magic Online and stuff like that. And it was really cool, uh, but I, I do prefer Wizards' approach, which was... You know, using the the card face to actually kind of dictate what sets were legal because you know that's one of the magic things about modern. Up until the release of the last Magic set, uh, all of the cards in modern could be identified by their card face because it was all the new card face, and now right. we have a third card face, so that's a little different. Uh, but the new, the old new card face. Yeah. <laughs> so the Magic Community Cup was really an ideal kind of testing ground for a potential new format uh, of this nature because it featured such a wide range of people. You know, you had very competitive pros. You had like members of Magic R and D. You had Magic Online grinders. You had just nominated community members uh, who do cool stuff. So like, you know, really wide range of people that were all playing the format, and they got to see you know exactly what they would enjoy, exactly what they might really really hate. Cough, hypergenesis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do we think, uh, aside from, so we've sort of acknowledged that it's the new card face is what they were featuring, but do we think that there were other things that kept them from not wanting to just go with Overextended? I mean, I, certain cards come to mind for me, like Days is a card that you're just... I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure there are elements, but uh, I think when you're, especially when you're deciding, like, we're going to start another, emphasis on another, like, new uh, extended style format and try and make it succeed again, which has failed, like, at this point three times, I think. There were three separate versions of Extended that had failed. Right. Uh, yeah. So that and that's not great. So you really want to try and make it as approachable and simple as possible. And I actually think the card face is like a nice way because like it's super easy to explain to people. It's like, well, okay, you just look at your card. Like it's not that hard. And everything forward, just a really kind of intuitive thing. There are definitely some unfun cards, uh, as you can see them playing in Legacy. Days is a really good example. Rashad and Port, another right, fantastic right, example. Right. Just yeah. like nobody really needs to be doing this kind of thing. So I think the main thing that they got hurt by is the fact that the you know, allied fetch lands weren't in the format right. because of it, but because 
you know, now they're in cons, it gave them an excuse to kind of reprint them later, and that problem is solved, and it wasn't yeah. that damaging to the format just to have the Zendikar fetches for the three years it's been around. Well, the funny thing, too, is that I want to, I don't want to harp on this for too long, because we should obviously move forward in the conversation right. about the Community Cup, but the I remember talking to, I think, Kibler at, like, two, a year and a half, maybe a year and a half ago at, like, uh, Grand Prix San Diego, yeah. and asking him about when he thought the Onslaught fetches would be in the format, and if it would be a bad decision. And he was just like, it's not going to matter at all. He's like, it's pretty much going to make mana bases identical. Like, you're only going to play a certain number of them. Maybe if you're playing those yeah. colors, it'll make them a little better, but nobody's going to play more than, like, 8, 10, or 12 anyway, which is totally true, and if you think about it, introducing them now, all it does is make the format more approachable. It's just... it's just Right. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty much a slam dunk, and the only, the only uh, thing going against the 8, 10, or 12 rule is uh, certainly... Treasure Cruise maybe right. makes you want to go a little more aggressive want, than you might have otherwise. Um, <laughs> so kind of to get into the Community Cup, so kind of explain, we kind of just mentioned it, where Wizards was at this point. Extended had kind of failed three times over, as we mentioned. And Something they just, like that. They just introduced this thing called, you know, Super Standard Extended, where it was really just four years instead of the two that Standard was. And all that landscape was was just like the decks everyone hated from Standard over the last three years but all hanging out and making people miserable. So it was like Cobblade, Valakut, and Fairies, and that was and Junt. And that was pretty much the entire format. And so, you know, Wizards, talking to pros right before Pro Tour Philadelphia, you know, was like, so what do you think is the problem? And they were like, it's just going to be Cob- it's just going to be Jace and Stoneforge Mystic, and that's going to be the entire top eight of the Pro Tour, and extended is just a terrible format. Wizards thought about this, and then right before the Community Cup, they announced this format. They originally only banned 12 cards. Um, of these cards, all of them other than... All of them are still banned. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. With the exception of our good friend Golgari Grapeshul. Wait, Rest in peace. we've talked Bitter about Blossom? it. <laughs> Isn't Bitter Blossom legal now? It's not banned on the original. It wasn't on the original. And the, the original pre-banned... The Community Cup 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. It yeah, was yeah. on the original, actual modern format ban. Yes. Right. So that's an, that was an interesting approach on their part to just say... Rather than choosing a start date and establishing that this is the way the format's going to work, we're going to choose a start date and aggressively ban cards to try to make the format the way the format we want. Well, so what what ended up happening is, so they banned these first 12 cards, which are all very obvious things to ban. Like, nothing right. on this list is like, oh, I wouldn't have thought about that being a card that shouldn't be there. And then the Community Cup happened, and if you look at the cards that they banned between the Community Cup and the actual launch of the modern format, it's all cards that were in the Community Cup. Almost right. every single one dominated the Community Cup. Well, and so they kind of like took that as their like testing ground. And if over two weeks we came up with this degenerate format, we need to kind of get rid of some of these cards. In the industry, we call that acting on feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, because if you look at the deck list, it's like it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, what is it? 16 decks. And I, I looked at the lists. Of those 16, 13 of those decks have cards that eventually were banned. Right. Three of the 16 escaped. And by today's standards, would actually be playable, and I'm sure they'd lose because they were bad compared to today's. Well, decks. some of them, like yeah. for instance, like if you look at you know, Scapeshift was around in this tournament, disappeared and came back. Fairies was around in this tournament, disappeared and is now legal. I don't wouldn't yeah. say it came back. <laughs> I mean, it's it's around. It's certainly like it, to get to your yeah. The the modern format has recently taken turns even worse for fairies than it previously <laughs> had. But you uh, mean that my one ones aren't good against you ancestral recalling? <laughs> Weird. So gotta have a lot of fairies on our treasure cruise with a spellstar spread. I'm just saying, <laughs> that is a tall order. So this kind of leads us into Pro Tour Philadelphia. 
Right before Philadelphia, they banned, you know, as we mentioned, just a bunch of the cards, including Stoneforge, Mystic, Hypergenitus, Jace, Bitter Blossom, Valkut. Um, these are cards that everyone kind of was like, okay, this makes sense for them to be gone. Um, the top eight included uh, Pyromancer Ascension, uh, Bant Countercat, 12 Post, hmm. Affinity with Atog, Pyromancer Ascension again, Splinter Twin, another Splinter Twin, and a Blazing Shoal Infect deck. So what you see here is a whole bunch of decks that use Ponder and Preordain. You see a lot of them. You see a lot of those cards in these lists, and it's funny because at the time, they seem like kind of innocuous cards. Like they, I mean, everybody, like everybody knows the cantrips are good, but yeah, they still play in every format mm-hmm. they're in. But they were never like when Jun was when they were in standard. Jun was a deck at that time theoretically, and that was the major deck. Ponder didn't really see play. Preordain yeah. started seeing play towards the end of the format. People never talked about those cards in standard as if they had to get banned. Maybe Preordain for a second. I think people got angry because it was Cobblade, but like. You, well, you but they're look, mad at Jace, not Preordain at that point. Yeah, you look at these eight, and you now you play Modern in today's format, and you're forced to play Sleight of Hand and Seer Visions, and you just realize how much better those cards actually are, and how mm-hmm. important those cards are to so many strategies. This was actually the first Pro Tour I attended as a spectator, because it was relatively near to where I was living at the time. Uh, and it was a pretty interesting thing to watch, because the format, I mean, you'll also notice this top eight is essentially seven combo decks... And a countercat deck, which plays suspiciously like a legacy Delver deck. <laughs> Drop a turn one, three power guy, and then try to counter or neutralize whatever you're doing for the rest of the game. Uh, that is not really, I think, what Wizards exactly had in mind <laughs> with their first go. You can see the ban list tries to neutralize a lot of combo, but this top eight, you know, very combo heavy. The tournament as a whole, super combo heavy because it was all reacting to Cloudpost, a deck that essentially outlawed fair decks by right. simply by existing. Uh, you just couldn't be playing a fair deck. This format was so aggressive and so combo-oriented that Dark Confidant was, like, not even good. It was just a not-played yeah. card in the format. Um, I mean, you know, this... Other than the original bannings of the format, this is the the six months post this tournament saw the largest amount of cards being banned because mm-hmm. Preordain was a problem. There were just, like, crazy unfair turn-two combo-I-win decks with Infect cards and Blazing Shoal. Yeah. You know, 12 posts was a huge issue. Yeah. Like, all of these cards just, like... Got knocked off the format, and then like some random ones got hit, like Wild Nactal and Green Sun Zenith, which is still on the ban list. But Wild Nactal, which we all now know, is not nearly as good as it probably was back then. Mm-hmm. And that's possibly because since then, Snapcaster Mage was printed, so Snapcaster Lightning Bolt decks have taken over the format. Among the fact that just cards in general have probably gotten a little bit stronger, and this card got weaker against them in the interim. Those those two anti zoo bans were really in the wake of a world championship where Zoo was just, like, overwhelmingly the, right. the, the percentage of the modern field. And at the, at the time, a lot of people thought it was actually an overreaction because there had been so many events in a row and, and they weren't modern. A lot of the pros felt like, like... A lot of the pros... A lot of the pros had just played Zoo because it was a deck that you knew was reasonable, you didn't have to play test it especially aggressively, and they had so much other work to do, especially with Worlds being a three-format tournament back in the day. Right. Uh, so they just you know relied on this one deck that they all thought would be fine, and obviously it was fine. That resulted in kind of a backlash with Wizards, you know, kind of maybe assuming that Wild Nakato and Green Sunset were pushing out other decks, and I think in, uh, in all honesty, that doesn't seem that likely. It more seems like that was just, you know, the best aggro deck, and they just all defaulted to it. Uh, and we see that now with Nakato returning. Zenith maybe homogenizes green decks a little too much, because it does make them play, like, about 12 to 16 of the same cards, but right. it, it's actually debatable if that's, like, strictly better than anything else at this and, point. And is it that much worse than something like Birthing Pod now? Right, exactly. Like, it, personally, I find it pretty comical that Green Sun's in this band and Birthing Pod is not, but we've right. waxed philosophical on that <laughs> previously, <laughs> so... You also get, I mean, uh, the... 
the consistency of just, and I know this is like very fringe, but the consistency of being able to get a Dryad Arbor with a green yeah. zenith is one of those things that make green decks have a resilience and a, and sort of a, a yeah consistency that green decks don't normally get to be able to turn that into sort of whatever you want, including an additional land on turn one. Yeah, it's a mana dork that's relevant very, very late, which right. is really like... Which is what the Deathrite yeah. Shaman problem kind of was. So there's an argument made that, yes, that's true. I mean... The the I think that punishing fire was more the problem with Zoo. Oh, that was certainly out, one of its best uh, like all the other decks is like Wild Nactal is is punishing fireproof and punishing fire killed every other aggro deck. So yeah. that combination kind of killed the aggro decks in that past format. I think now there's a whole other slew of problems that they have. Mostly the fact that Lightning Bolt and Path are in every deck, every other deck. Yeah. So like it's a format that's very very negative towards attacking with things, and the decks that don't have those have. Um, Kitchen Finks, which also hurts their their main agenda. So you look at this list, and the one the other thing that jumps out at me is like, I remember when Sam Black did the Blazing Shoal Infect deck, and I remember seeing it in the top eight and watching the video, and I just remember thinking like, there's a lot of smart people at Wizards who spent a lot of time looking at these cards and looking <laughs> at this format, and this is not that hard to figure out that this is a possible thing to do. Like it's a turn two win. Right. So how did this how did this sneak through? How did you guys like let this make it to a pro tour? Well, I, I honestly think there's. I mean, yes, there's some people at Wizards. And they are focusing on this, but I don't think they're they have nearly as much time to do this as the rest of the world who plays Magic has combined. Well, not even that they seem to think like there are maybe two hundred, and this is being very hopeful. Two hundred people in Wizards worked on making modern and figuring out a spam list, mm-hmm. which is above an exaggeration of what it probably was. Definitely, there are <laughs> <laughs> millions of players. Who are a moto and in real life figuring yeah. out how modern works, they have way more time than Wizards does. It's why they generally don't focus on eternal formats. They normally focus on standard because they only have so many resources that they just make sure, like, okay, is there anything obvious that this card, like, they did not test Jeskai Ascendancy in modern. Right, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> like, they just were like, ah, this will prob- this probably won't be that bad for the format. And they're like, oh, Treasure Cruise will probably let people. I mean, have a blue card draw spell. That would be cool. That has we they've been asking for a while. We're never going to unban Jace, so let's give them this. So one of the things about the Blazing Shoal uh, combo is, and it actually has been a redundant kind of like miss in Wizards previously, is when you have design teams or even just like entire R and Ds who worked on sets separately, they have like sometimes often gaps of knowledge or familiarity. Uh, one of the more like common and really obvious ones from like way back when was Fires of Yavimaya with Sapling Burst. Nobody thought about that at all uh-huh. before printing Fires Beyond My The synergy just went completely unnoticed because the teams that worked on the sets were pretty different uh, right, from right, one another. Right. They just happened to be a pretty big gap. And when you consider, like, Blazing Shoal and a Blighted Agent, those guys are also <laughs> pretty far apart. That's true. Uh, you know, back when Blazing Shoal was printed, nobody even, like, was considering Poison ever existing again, right. I, I would imagine, at that point. So it, it just never... It's the kind of thing where, like, a red flag never even waved. Right. You know? The other side is, like, it's true. Blazing Shoal was a bulk card forever. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think it ever saw play other is again. maybe <laughs> in a draft deck one out of ten times that, like, people had it in their, like, 23. Here's the thing, though. You, okay, so... How many times do you, are you building a deck and you pull up one of your apps, like I use Decked all the time? You look at Blazing Shoal and you say to yourself, okay, obviously the best thing that I can do is give something plus 10, plus 10, right? And then you go, what's the best thing to give plus 10, plus 10? Probably an unblockable creature with double strike or an effect creature. So Wizards doesn't just go, this is like, do you know what I'm saying? You, you just, somebody oh, sure. in charge I mean, needs to read every card and go, 
Okay, what's the best thing that can be done with this card? Oh, wow, this can be done on turn two. That's a real thing that somebody's going to try to do. At this People turn. definitely try and do that kind of stuff, but, I mean, <clears> things <throat> things will right. fall through the cracks. Like, it's very easy to just not think of the card Blazing Shell. Like, you have to remember Blazing Shell's a card to even be at that stage. It's true. Think which also was not, you know, like anything someone's going to think about. Red wasn't an effect color. Yeah. True. Red wasn't yeah. a card people really thought about in those colors. You know, the fact that Infect are just creature decks, and before this point especially, Wizards haven't really created a format where a creature combo attack deck was a thing. Sure. Like, oh, this is almost maybe the first one, really, where it was like all about just a creature hitting them turn two for everything was rare if it existed at that point at and, all. And to be honest, it's it would seem sillier, except that you, know, you had Transmute to really put it together, which was like a third right, piece right. that you also have to identify, with Teleria West and Muddle the Mixture both being able to like dig up a lot of pieces. So That's fair. All right, so, uh, so post... Post Philly, yeah, I, I feel like this. I remember this approach were getting like some attention, but they hadn't really started pushing modern super hard yet. So I feel like a lot of people were just like, "Ah, whatever." It's like an extended Pro Tour. Well, at the time, everyone was really ambivalent about it because Cloud Post was crushing it on Moto. The tournament itself was like combo winnerish. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah, it was a format a lot of people walked away from being like, "Well, that's over. I'll see you guys next yeah, year." <laughs> that that on top of the fact that within the next six months, like two or three major bannings happened, which put kind of a bad taste in people's mouths because they're like, the people that did invest in the modern were like, I'm going to play this format. We're like, well, every time I spend money on it, the money I am spending gets ripped out from under me. So, like, there's a whole backlash to these, like, this first period of, like, 12 bannings after 12 bannings, you know, where people weren't happy about what was going on there. Well, that's exactly what I was saying earlier. It's, an inter- it's a super interesting approach on Wizards' part to say, we're not going to just give you... A, like a parameters to build your decks and give you like a couple of bannings. We're literally going to just aggressively ban things to tweak this to feel how we want it to feel, yeah. and you're going to have to be okay with it. And there was definitely, you know, 12, 18 months. Yeah. Of, and I think people are much more comfortable with that idea now than they were then. Oh, for sure. So the, the bannings before that, right after that, and the community, the world, Championship. world championships were Red of Flame, Cloud Post, Ponder, Preordain, Blazing Shoal, Punching Fire, Green Sun's Death, and Wild Nactyl. Is the World Championship you're talking about, is that the one we, that we were Yeah, just yeah, 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 where yeah. it was so, like just so filled with Zoo and directly after the mix yeah. everything afterward. Directly after the Pro Tour, uh, Cloud Post, Ponder, Preordain, Red of Flame, and Blazing Shoal. Yeah. Directly after the world, uh, Worlds, uh, Punching Fire, Green Sun's Death, Wild Nactyl. Gotcha. So, Combo Deck took the first hit, Zoo yeah. took the second hit. And everyone was just like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, what it really kind of happened was, you know, as soon as something started doing well in Modern, they, like, kicked the legs out from under it. And yeah. that's the that's the real fo- feeling I think people had was that every time there was a best deck, Wizards just killed it twice in a row. Right. And, and that's kind of, like, a really awkward spot to be in a format. Well, and, and from Wizards' perspective, what they were trying to do was create... A balance. Because well, there, there were decks that were too many good. In under nine months. Like, Legacy took years of cards coming out and then slowly banning cards when things came out to kind of make it so the format became somewhat balanced, where this, like, they had, you know, six months to make this as playable as Legacy, or they wanted to be as close to playable as Legacy Oh, sure. I mean, they were definitely trying to turbo it, and realistically, these bannings were all relatively reasonable, uh, because those decks were better than the other decks, and you're just trying to get everybody to a relatively even keel. Uh, at which point, you know, the format can then advance and people can develop new decks. Because if you have, like, two or three decks that are just better than everything, which is where Modern is once again, actually, <laughs> then so, usually something's going to happen. Right. So people started getting really excited, I remember, before this Pro Tour. Because RTR had been announced, you pre- the, the full spoiler was out, and everybody knew the Shocks were coming back. So you were going to have Shock Fetch mana bases in Modern right. that were readily available because you could get all the Shocks. One of the two the major barrier, the entries. Yeah. And at the time, Fetch lands weren't nearly as expensive as they were or became. 
and like was just knocked out. There was no longer did you have to worry about getting shock lands. And so now get your fetch lands, which is why fetch lands went to 45 almost overnight right yeah. after this tournament. But So I remember uh, everybody was really excited about RTR, and I played a ton of RTR Limited, and I was very excited for this Pro Tour. I remember watching coverage day one, and the first, the, did you guys remember this? The, the first feature match was the Brad Nelson one, the, uh, the Niv Magus yeah. deck. And I remember getting like, like Twitter, like text, like everybody at Facebook was blown up. Oh my God, Brad Nelson's playing yeah, Nibnagus Elementals. And everybody's just, oh my God, what's going on? And he just, and he went for it. And I think he was playing against, um, was he playing against David Ochoa? Is that right? Uh, that sounds right. I think. Yeah, which is the deck's worst matchup. And he just, yeah. he went for it and he, and he got him to like three and then he just lost. He had like no cards <laughs> in his hand or something. Or maybe he maybe just killed the Nibnagus or something like that. But it was, it was pretty hilarious. But it was cool because you're like, oh wow, like there's, you know, these guys really went for it. Like they really tried something here. And I think uh, if you look at the top eight of the Pro Tour, like it definitely reflects a little bit more versatility then. Mm-hmm. So and, and the important thing to remember, after this tournament, they this is the first time they, right before this, is the first time they ever unbanned a deck or a card, and that was Valakut. They decided, you know, this has been on the ban list since the Community Cup. Uh, we think that there's probably more resilient to this deck than there was, or than we thought there might be. We want to add, you know, we took out all of these combo decks already. We want to add a new level of interaction that doesn't really exist in the format. Yeah. You can have Valakut back. And, you know, it did well. It, it was in the first top eight. It was possibly available to. It wasn't nearly as dominant as they thought it would be. And it took a few months, or like six months maybe, to yeah. start actually becoming a deck that was a pillar of the format. Yeah. Um. Beyond that, you know, this is probably one of the more broad um, top eights that, you know, is on this list. Partly, partly because it was, you know, an era where Jund was kind of the enemy of everyone. And, yeah. like, if you actually look at the tournament itself, Jund was, like, almost 50% of the field, if yeah, I remember correctly. Um, so that's one of the reasons it's not, like, dominating the top eight is because every single player was like, this is the deck we have to beat. It's just yeah. so cool to me that, like... One of the premier teams comes in playing Niv Magus Elemental. The guy that wins the tournament is playing Eggs, and like, and he was like, I think he, I don't think he lost a single game, right? Wasn't that the story? He, uh, he I believe he lost, uh, he lost a game. I know he lost a game in the top eight somewhere because they made like a deal of it. I'm pretty sure. But like, through, uh, but through, through yeah, the he rounds. was he was running pretty hot, and Sifka's like no slouch. Obviously, right, like, right. He's an actual like chess genius, and this was like his big moment. Yeah. Though he wasn't really like a huge, like a widely known. No, player. yeah, this was his big hit. He'd been he'd been on the circuit a little while. He's part of that a well known group of European pros, and they've all been hitting it now. Ivan Flock, uh, I actually Ivan Flock and Sifko were teammates at the first Team GP. Know each other very well. Lukas Chaklovsky was the third on that team. Also awesome. Yeah. All, <laughs> like, <laughs> names get yeah. all three lot. people I would personally never want to play a match of Magic or any reasonable <laughs> stakes against. Like, and, then uh, you get, and you have like Bug Infect on this list. I remember that deck. Was yeah, r- running down that top eight, actually, you know, we have Affinity, still deck, Jund, which had just gotten Deathrite Shaman, and believe it or not, people had not realized it was nuts, so not every Jund deck had yeah, Deathrite Shaman, right. but uh, these ones did. Then there was Eggs with Sifka, as we just said, another Jund deck in David Ochoa's hands. Uh, Scapeshift Li Shitian, who has you know had a pretty reasonable performance recently as right, well yeah, the, on the Pro level. Uh, the Bug Infect deck we we're just discussing, Blue White Control, and Jund Yuya Watanabe, who lost in the finals, but you know was able to take Jund all the way to the win yeah. many months later right, in, right. A, uh, it was in the World awesome Championships. Finals. I remember. I remember actually watching it live. And it was. It was really good. Like, and it was. I remember just like Yuya is like a really gracious player because even when he could see that he was losing, like he was like pretty good natured about it and kind of laughing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just no. remember really just really enjoying watching that match. Well, I think I think the biggest problem with this specifically is the fact that Eggs was the deck that Sitko won with because mm-hmm. it is so terrible to watch on coverage where it's literally just them doing things and you kind of really like. 
coverage can't really commentate on it because it's not that like not that much is changing every moment. You're just kind of yeah, like, sure. do they have it yet? And like, so it definitely showed. It was kind of the first time Wizards started looking at their coverage, I feel like, in a way that, like, we need to figure out how to make sure that the decks and the stuff that's going on is also entertaining for this and we can talk about what's going on correctly. Hmm. Um, But I do love that, you know, for the most part, this is a list that kind of is a representation of what modern has been. Yeah, and and the list, honestly, these decks are pretty similar. Like, Eggs is, you know, a Storm-ish deck. Like, even though it's not, like, actual Storm, it's the same basic concept of, like, critical mass of spells, redundant activities, kill opponents. I mean, like, yeah, (laughs) up up until just a few months ago, swap out, like, basically swap out Eggs with Pod and just add Red to the control deck, and that's, like, a pretty decent representation of what you might see today. Right. You know what I mean? You might get, get, like, a Mm black-green deck in there. Blue-white, blue-white, red. There's probably... there. Well... Today, this is all blue, white, red, Delver. <laughs> or blue, white, Delver. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, a couple months ago, back when <laughs> yeah. you know we, we didn't realize that the sun was going to set. <laughs> um, so so this, was, this was like definitely a, a big step in the right direction. Just, just because I do remember all, all the clamor about like this Pro Tour. and like our, our, uh, I think uh, RTR was that moment where everybody's like, Magic's great again. This is awesome. But Innistrad had definitely jacked it way up. Like The limited format in Innistrad was super popular. Oh, yeah. And I think for this Pro Tour, people, people were a little bit more uh, willing to get on board with Modern. Oh, and, for sure. And, and they people, were paid off as well. Like, yeah. it was the, the aftermath of the tournament, I think, did a lot to popularize Modern. Um, yeah, and it was during a year when magic attendance also just started booming incredibly. So. Right, yeah, I mean, huge year. Right? This was the, all the record breaking mm-hmm. Grand Prix that year. If you look at it, it's like all of these decks are relatively easy for people to kind of grok to get their mind around. They're like, yeah. oh, you know, I want to play Affinity. Oh, there's an Affinity list that I can start working with. Oh, Jund is like the best deck, but it's not unfair. It's not like a deck that like can't be beat, so it's not terrible. But I know that, you know, I can pick this deck up and get good at it, and it's not super hard to kind of play and work my mind around. So it definitely, like, there's a nice, there's a spectrum of eggs, which is theoretically very complicated to play, yeah. though less complicated than people thought it was. And Jund, which is very relatively easier than most people to just get started playing, though, it, you know, the master it takes a little bit more skill. Definitely the thing that I notice as, like, a longtime Magic player, and there seems to be a common theme in Magic, anytime... Uh, dedicated counterspell decks get too good. The the game gets not fun for most people. <laughs> and there's only one deck in this list that is a dedicated counterspell deck. And even if you actually look at the blue white control list, yeah, it was very mid rangey. It's very mid rangey. Yeah. It like has four kitchen finks, four blaze blazer. Like it's not oh, nearly yeah. as it, it's mana leaks are more to like get it into the game with initiative more right. so than to like actually lock you out. To like Which, get to turn obviously, four. I mean nobody locks anybody out of a game with mana leak. That's literally <laughs> impossible. <laughs> they will eventually pay for it. Uh, mana leak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to a store near no one, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get to the bannings, because I, the bannings didn't happen immediately. There was a no, few, there was no, a few months yeah. still. I think maybe even a, a whole summer. Is that right? Or no, so there, no, there no. were I, many months. I, so no, no, so this is pro Tour return of Ravnica, which is well. Before we get into the bannings, I'll get in there when we do get in there. Because I do remember, I think at that same that same one I, I talked to Kibler that I was talking about. I think I think it was San Diego, San Diego. and I remember uh, Kibler playing a feature match against. Uh, Channel guy. Nathan Red. Holiday. Nathan Holiday. The red hair? Yeah, yeah, he's the one who actually won the GP. 
Yeah, and he was playing eggs, and I remember watching the match, and he started to go off, and I don't know if this was like a gracious thing or whatever, but it was kind of like a tip my hat to you. Kibler got up and went to the bathroom during his turn. He F6'd the game. He he asked a judge to come watch to make sure uh, yeah. Holiday did everything correctly, and he went to go to the bathroom, and then came back ten minutes later. It and was like a was total power off. play. It was like a to- it was a total like, dude, you could have waited till the end of the game to go to the bathroom. You're just trying to make a point. It was actually one of the few moments that I've ever seen Kibler where I was just a little bit like, come on, dude. Like you're you're like a you're like somebody that a lot of players watch and kind of look up to as a Magic player. Don't go to the bathroom during your opponent's <laughs> turn. Kibler has definitely never been afraid to make a point on stuff like that, and even. Even if you were following his tweets throughout that tournament, you know, he's just like, I'm just an honest man trying to get out here with honest creatures. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, actually, right before that, if you want to go timeline, so the first bannings after this were Bloodbraid Elf and Seething Song, and that was right before Born, right before Gatecrash was released. It was okay. the ban announcement for Gatecrash. Mm-hmm. Then GP San Diego happened, and then Nathan Holiday won it with eggs, and then the next possible ban list... They banned eggs. They be- they banned Second Sunrise right. because the Pro Tour was eggs. Now their most recent major GP was eggs. Brian Kibler kind of you know yeah, made right. it very public how problematic this deck he thought this deck was. And in the past, when Brian Kibler has ranted about things online, it has effects <laughs> yeah. on what happens. Sure, sure. <laughs> not um, to uh, not to understate Kibler, but I mean the deck was also it it, it was the top effect in many ways. Like it was just a mind-numbingly, like, obnoxious thing for many players to endure, both, like, as members of a tournament in which it was just happening, it could frequently take very long, or as an audience member viewing it on the live stream, or as a player whose opponent is doing it. Like, in in all regards, it was just like, okay, okay, okay. There are multiple cards on the ban list that this deck did the things that those things are on the ban list for. The reason they're on the ban list, this deck was doing, just not the exact... Like, top is on the ban list because it takes forever and Mm -hmm. turns... When a deck goes a turns, a turn can still last 20 minutes. This could, like, even if the game matches over, every one of those five turns will be spent with them trying to go off, which could be a 10-minute affair. Right. And that makes tournament organization impossible. The last And the last detail that makes decks like that, like High Tide and Legacy, so infuriating is that if you win game one and it takes quite a while and you're in game two... You can basically, if you want to, you can essentially just play at a time. You dirtle, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, I mean, you essentially are allowed to, as long as you're playing at a reasonable pace. It allows you to basically just cheat your way into wins if you win game one, which is really stupid and one of the most frustrating things to ever have to play against. Yeah, and, and, and lastly, it can win on turn three, which is a modern no-no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it didn't do it all the time, but it could do it, and if it did it, and it did it consistent enough, plus those other factors... Plus the fact that it was miserable to watch on stream and Wizards was trying to make yeah. their stream a actual, like, a, like a spectator sport. Made it so the deck... And, it, you know, no one... When it went away, no one was like... I knew a few people that were annoyed because they switched from Storm when the Seething Song got banned to Eggs, thinking that that's the deck I'm going to play now. It's the same kind of deck, just slightly different. And then that got swept under... Their legs got swept out from under them, but... That'll really? teach him for abandoning grape shot. Right. <laughs> in, in his hour of need. Well, then, like, how obnoxious is it to play, like, watch or play against a bad player that doesn't know how to pilot a deck like that? They just waste your time. I mean, sometimes you win the game because they waste your time, but sometimes, like, they just dirtle and dirtle and dirtle and dirtle, and they make a mistake, and they call a judge, and they complain. The whole thing's just, like, a case of the feel-bads, and it's like, you know, you don't want decks like that around, basically. I think was what the bottom line was. It's just... Anyway. We can move on from just just harassing, harassing Sifka, <laughs> Sifka's eggs. The next Pro Tour is actually almost ex- a year after the Seething Sog and Bloodbraid Elf ban. So, and, uh, almost exactly. And that was the Pro Tour Born of the Gods. And this is the most recent modern Pro Tour. 
And right beforehand, you know, they decided to unban stuff. Some some pretty important bannings I'm unbanning. So Bloodbright Elf actually didn't do very much to hurt Junt. It made it maybe a little bit of a looser deck on the exact list you're going to play. But, you know, everyone at the time knew this to be true. And, and the year later, everyone was kind of still on board with the fact that really Deathrite Shaman was the problem. Well, because pe and people spent the whole, that whole period playing the exact same Jun list and just trying to find the four drop. It's like oh. Olivia Darren would get substituted, sometimes Huntmaster. Oh. Like, it just didn't really matter. You're playing three copies of some four drop. You just needed a four yeah. drop that well, did damage. The biggest whammy was really that Bloodbird Elf like, was theoretically a power ban for Jun, where it's just like you're just trying to temper it a little bit and make it not as good. And then they made Scavenging Ooze Modern Legal, and that was just like one of the best cards in the deck <laughs> by miles. So like the power level immediately ratcheted like right back up. And and you still see Scavenging Ooze is definitely one of the best cards. Oh, even yeah, yeah. even now in this like super crazy format, it has only gotten better. Right. Like Scavenging Ooze was just very, very good and a reasonable but a little dangerous kind of kind of card introduced to modern because it, it really did jack up the power level of those green decks right and, and part of me actually honestly believes that one of the reasons they added ooze is because they had the eyes of banning death right shaman and they had some fear of graveyard shenanigans being a problem in the yeah. future apparently rightfully so um and not that it's actually doing very much for it but so they banned <sighs> death right shaman before this pro tour now i think they can unban Bloodbraid Elf, but we'll see if that happens. But they also unbanned at the time Wild Nactyl and Bitter Blossom. So neither of which really has made much of an impact, right? I mean, they've been around, but not in big ways. Uh, I think Owen top sixteen this PT playing Wild Nacatl, and I think someone else may have also with uh, his Zoolist or done done reasonably well with it. And, and Bitter Blossom has been it's in Fairies and a few other decks, but it has not made like huge waves. Especially at this Pro Tour, the field was covered in Wild Nactyl decks. Like, everyone in the room was playing Zoo, because everyone thought, like, oh, finally, an aggro deck that's supposed to be good, let's play it. Right. And it was decent, but it isn't great, and when the entire room is gunning for you, because they know what's coming, it's not going to make a top eight. Well, all of these Zoo decks in the modern format, especially at that time, were really in need of ways to go over the top of other people. And so, like, Blood Moon and Thunder My Hellcat were two ways people were, like essentially topping the curve with their Zoo decks uh, as the format grew once they got Wild Nakato back. And so when you see it that way, it's more like Wild Nakato was just like a cog in the machine more than anything else. It's like, all right, here's something right. efficient to do. Mm. Uh, and it certainly is a, a very good thing, but at the same time, it's no longer the like, you're not, you're not turn one Wild Nakato and countering all their spells and beating them down to the giant knight of the Reliquary. None of that stuff worked anymore. Right. So. That's interesting that knight, what that, that, see, it's funny to see how that card is like totally fallen out of favor since the beginning of the format. Mm. Well, you Death lose, Shaman you lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Deathrite Shaman yeah. killed Knight completely. Uh, not completely, but it made it, so, I mean, Kibler would well, disagree, it, but... It made it, it made a little, it, it made it worse, but more importantly, like, if you wanted to play Knight, your deck would be a Deathrite Shaman deck. Like, it was green, so, right, like, right. you were going to be yourself. hurting your own Knight, so it was better to just play something else, and then they printed something else for you, scavenging. Right. I think it's better now than it was with um, Deathrite Shaman in the format, but I think it's also now worse because the format is so much more geared towards tempo and combo decks mm. than, you know, a mid-rangey green-white card that just wants to kind of attack or search out lands for you is going to really accomplish. I mean, the largest issue with Knight and the way Modern is framed now is that it's a three-drop, which means when you're on the draw, your opponent can very legitimately threaten to kill you in a number of matchups. So, I mean, it's just a weird spot for it to be in. It's really good against a lot of... When you know you're in a fair matchup, it's really good there. But when you're not, it's easily one of the worst cards in your deck because the things it does don't even slow down any of the combo decks. There aren't that many that are actually graveyard-based, so fetching Pachuca Box not a big deal. Right. Ghost Quarter and Tech Edge, not huge deals against the vast majority of combo decks. They're just, like, good against fringe combo decks, basically. So 
Knight's not even a, a reasonable hate card there, whereas in, in Legacy, it, like, actually is. Like, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of the things it fetches are the prominent the combo cor- decks, yeah, so yeah. that's, that's context yeah, for yeah. you, right? Like, Caracas, but you could bog, yeah. Yeah, the combo decks in that format are better, but they're also actually more vulnerable to Knight because right. they yeah. interact in the zones he can actually mess with. Makes sense. So, and, and you know, back to Pro Tour Board of the Gods, the, the interesting thing about this is that there was a lot of innovation with some of the, like, classic decks. So, you know, you know, Twin, up to this point, had only been blue-white, sorry, Twin up to this point had only been blue-red, maybe sometimes blue-white-red, where they'd have Wall of Omens to kind of value people out. But this is the first time we've ever seen Tarmo Twin. This is where this deck kind of premiered. Can we just point something out that I think is kind of remarkable? Yes. Uh, this, there's been, I don't know how many exactly, how many Grand Prix there have been since Pro Tour Born... Lord of Gods that have modern format or prior to but looking at like the numbers and the top eights they're infested with pod decks I mean tons oh, yeah. and tons it was, it's a dominant deck there's not a single pod nope. deck yeah. in either of these two top eights the, la- the last two Pro Tour top eights no, that, no none, none of the Pro Tour top eights yeah that's, no, not, there well, has no, never no, been Pro Tour Born of the Gods Jacob yeah. Wilson, yeah, yeah. finalist. One. Oh, Pro no, Tour one of the Gods the first time where deck. there's a pod deck there's yeah. only one that's crazy to me yeah. I mean that's that's been the well, most in Done. fairness, there were a number knocking outside on the top 16, uh, but the first Pro Tour, obviously Pod was just not even a remotely playable deck because Cloud Post was a thing, and that yeah. was just like nothing. There's no way you would ever beat that deck. There's literally O-stoning you before you're doing anything. Uh, and then the second one, Pod, hadn't really actually developed into a deck yet. Right. It, it was really it? like post that Pro Tour that Pod kind of started hitting it. And then after GP San Diego, uh, I believe GP Portland was the next modern GP. It was certainly not that far after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one was actually won by Sam Party on Pod. And then we had later on Grand Prix Detroit, Josh McLean on Pod. Those two guys are very right. good friends, and, but and, very and similar lists. Uh, Jules, who we had on actually here for the Pod yeah. deck tech that we yeah. did, has mentioned that he like Pod is probably the most difficult deck to play perfectly right. of any of the decks in modern. And there is a theory out there that just no one had mastered it as well as they possibly could have maybe up to this point. Well, or maybe the people that had mastered it just didn't do as well in those tournaments because they're maybe not good as draft. Like, because something that mo- is true about modern is modern is the best specializing format. Yeah. Uh, other than maybe legacy, but the best pro tour specializing format. Certainly. So, like, I could be the best pod player on the planet, but be terrible at Born of the Gods Limited. <laughs> Interesting detail. Do you know what deck was playing against Bronson Magnon at Pro Tour, Li- or at uh, Grand Prix Lincoln in the very first modern Grand no. Prix? It was Pod by okay. Andrew Corneo. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fascinating to me that that was the first Grand Prix and there was a Pod deck in the finals all the way back at the beginning, yet up to this point, we still barely have seen it in any of the top eights. Yeah, right. the Pro Tour, I honestly think Pro Tour it, it's certainly some of the, the mixed variants of having like a mixed format event. Uh, you can certainly have people who just you know don't perform in draft, and that means regardless of their constructor record, they're not going to get into the top eight. Uh, and then, you know, there are also metagame forces. A lot of people came in gunning. Yeah, for Pod in a lot of instances. I mean, you can look at this top eight specifically, the one we're talking about, Pro Tour Born of the Gods. Uh, Storm was actually the best performing deck at this Pro Tour. Two teams played it, and it had, like, the best win record of any of the, like, majorly played decks. And one of the reasons was, at that time, it was a combo deck that could outpace Pod, and you could, you know, kind of get there against the Jun decks as well. And that was really all that made the deck popular among those guys. They really, Those, like, two matchups were so huge, being able to get there. And, in fact, it, Chris Finnell lost to Jacob Wilson in... Uh, the top eight of that Pro Tour, and it was a result of uh, Peeled Abrupt Decay following a Jataxian probe. Like, you know, he, uh, if that <laughs> right. doesn't happen, he just take may, maybe just takes the match, and that's like, you know, a two to four outer, depending on which game they're in. I can't, can't recall, actually. So the most interesting deck to me in this top eight is definitely Blue Moon. And it's funny because, like, true story, uh, I guess it would have been right when Master of Waves was printed. 
so Master Waves was printed, and I'm a admitted huge fan of Grand Architect. That's like one of my favorite cards of all time. <laughs> I'm always trying to make Grand Architect good, and it's almost impossible. And I had this theory that you could build this like silly mono blue deck with Architect into Master of Waves. And then I, all my friends, Eugene and them included, I showed them the proxy list. They're all laughing at me. And I was like, and one last thing, it plays four copies of Blood Moon in the main deck. And I was like, just, just, for, just for no other reason than I just hate Blood Moon. I hate losing to it, and it's just going to work. And they were all, you're, you're ridiculous. It's a terrible idea. So that weekend, I went and played at, uh, I think, the SCG Open here. Or maybe it was you know, a couple weekends later. And I went up to Sam Black, because like, I've talked to him in a handful of these things. And he had, usually he's obviously a great deck builder. And I was like, I have this crazy idea. I want to build this mono blue deck with architect into master of ways. And then it'll, and I, and I had a ridiculous idea. I was like, and then it's going to play Memnarch and try to win. <laughs> <laughs> and we're too deep now. <laughs> Just play the worm coils. Yeah. And he's like, and he's like, Memnarch, you lost me, but it's a good idea after that. He's like, I put a video last week online doing the exact same thing. He's like architect into master of ways, but he's, but not blood moon. I do want to point out that you just like perfectly emulated the Sam Black. You lost me like hand, yeah. <laughs> like because that's like totally how Sam would like probably respond to that situation in my experience. When I did, when I saw this list, I was so I was I felt so vindicated. I felt so vindicated. A lot of blue deck that just throws Blood Moon in the main deck seems genius. How's and Master of Waves is a fantastic card in Modern, just a peculiarly fantastic one. It just oh, dodged yeah. everything. Just a pro red is so good. Yeah. Pro so red good. and four casting costs, suspiciously good. <laughs> That deck performed very interestingly at that PT because it was a very good day one deck and a very awkward day two deck because once the jig was kind of up, people were very careful against players. Right, right. So I, don't, I don't know if you guys actually know about the team Lee Chan's on, but they all wear matching jackets. So it was like not <laughs> difficult to know if you were playing against Blue Moon at that Pro Tour because they all dress the exact same. <laughs> That's really funny. So uh, before we finish on Blue Moon, I did want to bring up uh, something I thought was really interesting and a card I think is very underplayed in Modern and just hasn't really found a good home and this might, at the time, was the home for it, but it's possible it might need a new home in the future, uh, is Vidalkin Shackles. That card is very strong in the format, did a lot of work in the format. It's powerful magic. And, but the problem is it had this weird constraint of you have to play only islands. Yeah. And up until this point, playing only islands wasn't very good. You know, the best cards are red and white and, you know, blue has counterspells, but the counterspells are loose is the best way to kind of describe them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. They're not necessarily bad, but, like, the, the, the good ones cost four mana and the, the other ones are either very singular or all they do is delay the game. Um, they don't actually stop your opponent from doing the things that they can do and eventually become useless. Um, so it's very interesting that this card exists in the format. Could be very, very, very strong, but has just this is kind of the first time it ever saw any premiere play in modern's history. And you know, th this is a format all about kind of landing a creature and getting in there with it either through combo or whatever. And this is a card that kind of helps you mitigate that problem and kind of can win the game for yourself. The, a lot of the fairies lists for a long time, there's the mono blue lists that popped up like around like maybe a year in yep. the format. They would play shackles, and you'd see it sometimes even in, even in the updated blue black lists. Because it, it doesn't require all that much, because most of the things you're stealing aren't that big, so having four or five islands is not crazy. But aside from the fairies decks, that's the only deck that I can think of. Yeah, it was mostly, play. the utility lands people were playing really just made it very difficult to fit shackles into any of the blue decks. You know, like, you really right. want your Celestial Colonnades, you really want your Creeping Tar Pitch, you really want your Mutabolts, especially, like, in the fairies decks. So like, it, it just became, like, you know, you were weighing out things, and basically, like, shackles was always left by the wayside. Right. The reason it was good in this deck is because the deck is planning on casting Blood Moon yeah. in game one, so and you don't want utility lands. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you'll notice in this top eight was you mentioned, you know, we had three different twin decks, basically. We have the, the white, blue, red twin. We have Tarmo twin. We have blue, red twin. Uh, twin was actually expected to be one of the best performing decks in this pro tour by many, including myself, because the banning of Death Red Shaman really exclusively hurt one deck, Jund, which was a traditional predator of twin. It was its worst matchup in, in modern, just as a general rule. And the white, blue, red twin deck, especially vulnerable to Jund, hmm. uh, usually just gets roach. Ro yeah. Usually just gets ranched by it. Uh, so Jun being a diminished presence as a result of that ban, though certainly not dead and still a very viable and successful deck in the post-PT metagame, uh, if any Pro Tour you were going to try and like target a deck that Jun might be weak against, that was a pretty good one to try it at. So we can now, if we're, we're going to get into discussing Splinter Twin, yeah, yep. uh, we can basically track it to the beginning of the format. Well, no, we can even track it to before that. We can track it to standard, which it was in yep. standard, I think, right before modern existed. Was, yeah, we mentioned yeah. Sapling vs. Fires, you have Maya, Blazing Shoal Blighted Agent. This was another kind of case of, <laughs> right. you know, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that uh, Splinter Twin Deceiver. Actually. I, yeah. Yeah, I remember that summer. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I remember that summer playing, I think, three or four PTQs, and obviously I was playing a Grand Architect deck, and I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> obviously! And everybody good was playing Cobblade, and then a handful of people were playing Splinter Twin, and I remember the last evolution of the deck was the Cobblade Splinter yeah, Twin. Yeah, the, the combination. The that, hybridized um, version. What's his name? Uh, Ali Antrazi uh, piloted it to a GP Baltimore win, I know. Or, right, but, uh, not a GP, sorry, an SCG Baltimore. Twin uh, yeah, it was it was all over that SCG Baltimore, yeah. which was one of the fine the final few events with uh with those cards yeah, legal. It was just yeah. like an absurd deck. If you like if you look at the power level of the cards involved in the deck, it was like Stoneforge Mystic, Batterskull, <laughs> Jace, like yeah, it was Splinter Twins, <laughs> Splinter Twin, Splinter Twin yeah. like uh. the Cobblade cards, the swords, like the counter spells. It was just the Cobblade cards, the swords, the counter spells, it was just absurd. <laughs> So that happens. Then the next, the, the next thing you get is you get the first modern Pro Tour, and it's won by Estradi, obviously with the Ponder Priority inversion of the deck. And I think we all paid attention. We all kind of everybody knew when they printed Splinter Twin. Like, oh, Pester Mine and Deceiver Exarch, Kiki Jiki. Right. This They're is all good. in the format. This will be good. You know, there's now there's eight copies, so this makes a lot of sense. And if you look at the first Pro Tour top eight, it it was one of the more prolific decks in that top eight. I mean, there were three copies. It looks like. Yeah. It. Uh, one, there two, two copies. There were two copies. It was, it was definitely heavily played at that pro tour. Right. So yeah, it's it's a sensical combo deck choice for a field like that, where you expect a lot of other combo decks because Splinter Twin is traditionally the combo deck that can afford the most interaction. You know, decks like Storm can't afford to run a bunch of counter spells because they have to assemble a critical mass. Uh, Splinter Twin doesn't need a critical mass; it needs two cards. So you're just going to spend a lot of time looking for those cards, and when you fail to find them, you'll just grab the interaction that's laying around as well. You know, your sleight of hand doesn't have a combo piece; you just grab the the thing that will help you live until you find a combo piece. Right. Well, the fascinating thing about Splinter Twin as a combo deck, as as somebody who enjoys playing combo, and, and any time I've ever played in a format where combo is popular, I always focus way too much on my sideboard cards and how much they interact with said combo deck. It's a good place to look. This is one of the decks that is so resilient to the hate. I mean, in every, in, in any given modern format where I've pl I've played things like Torpor Orb, and you play Echoing Truth for various reasons to obviously interact with your own cards, but you play these cards that feel like they're twin killers, where like they're just going to win, and they're not going to be able to beat you, and it's, they just take one extra turn, and the fact that the deck interacts at the end of your turn that's what makes it so powerful, is that with the, with the ideal draw, if you don't disrupt them, they're just going to leave mana open, flash in the three, cast the four, and win. And mm -hmm. that's just, as far as combo decks and magic go, you don't usually get that lucky where, you're, where your three-piece is a flash card. It's usually some sorcery speed, something, an enchantment, an artifact, or you have to be undisrupted or hold open counter magic. It's like in this deck, if you want to just go for it, just put it on the table, sometimes you win. Sometimes you just get it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a very powerful deck. 
So to kind of explain the exact interaction of how the deck works, it's, you know, you're playing one of either, um, and there are a few other corner cases, but cards that untap creatures when they come, creatures that untap creatures when they come into play. So this, it generally is Pestermite, which is a 2-1 fairy that does that, and Deceiver Exarch, which is a 1-4 something. So, yeah, cleric horror, yeah, yeah. or something. Horror but cleric. When they enter the battlefield, they have the <laughs> ability to tap or untap target yeah. permanent. So how it works is you either, you know, suit it up with Splinter Twin, which what it does is when you, it gives a creature the ability to tap to clone itself and give itself haste. So it clones the Deceiver Exarch. The Deceiver Exarch comes in play, untaps the original one, which then can tap again to make another one. And this is an infinite loop that gives you an infinite haste army of 1-4s or 2-1 flyers and just straight up kills your opponent. So obviously, Kiki-Jiki has the same ability the Splinter Twin has of tapping to clone until end of turn a creature and give it haste. Those are the two cards that make the tapper-untapper function, and the cards you play to thwart it are things that... You know, Stop bounce the battlefield effects. Bounce the creature in response to the Splinter Twin. Kill that thing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons Wizards allowed, kind of has consistently allowed this deck to survive in the format is it's very, like, its weakness is creature removal, and those are the type of decks, combo decks specifically, that Wizards is kind of fine happening and existing in the format. They're okay with decks that fold to Path to Exile. And its best turn is turn four, which is what they want. Yeah. Right. It's, it, it is representative of exactly what Wizards envisioned when they made this format. A relatively straightforward turn four combo deck that is targeted by a lot of the other decks in the format. Well, it's funny you would say that because actually, like, in the very first Pro Tour, it was a hardcore combo deck. Like, you were pretty much just 20 people out. That was, right. like, all you were really planning well, on doing. And your cantrips were very good. So. Four, yeah. Four yeah. ponder, you can dig uh, there. as the format has evolved, and especially as the opponents have evolved, Twin is, like, more and more and more hybridized itself into this deck that, like, plays legit magic a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you certainly are constantly threatening a kill, uh, this is something that elves decks have always done as well, where they're just like, you know, well, I'm just going to beat you up with these elves until, you know, you mm-hmm. seem weak, and then I will try and kill you. And, and Twin can kind of do the same thing, where it's pushing people, especially because, as you mentioned, Ben, the uh, the threat during the end of turn, frequently this can create kind of a stone rain effect on your opponents, because if they don't have flash spells of their own, they're leaving mana up to try and be able to interact with you, and then when they don't need to, that mana just goes unspent. You're just time walking. Yeah, exactly. You're just getting a bunch of value. Your opponent is essentially missing land drops, even though they're not because they're not spending their mana very efficiently. And that's a big advantage to Twin as a tempo deck, uh, because it doesn't mind just getting in a few hits, and it can actually very legitimately finish people off. You know, a few Pestermite attacks, some Snapcaster Mages, Lightning Bolts, call it a day. It's not that hard. Like, semi-evasive beaters with with Snapcaster and Lightning Bolt have been a completely viable way of killing people Mm -hmm. in this format. Since Snapcaster and Lightning Bolt became best friends. I mean, we've certainly emphasized the untappability of the creatures, obviously, in conjunction with Splinter Twin and Kiki-Jiki, but the ability to tap an opposing creature opens the way for those right. attacks. You can force in a lot of damage when people are you know, not able to block because that's they have to attack you. You're not going to kill yourself, of course. Right. So they're already you know, trying to get aggressive against you in order to close out the time that you have to find Exarch Twin. You can take advantage of that by getting in damage and actually threatening to go for their life total just in a totally legitimate way. We kind of brought this up when we talked about Pod, yeah. but you know, Pod Pod is very much a mid range deck that you know will kind of combo you once in a while and kind of gets there. This is very much a combo deck that will just kind of tempo you. tempo you out yeah. through and like you know I, I've definitely played Pod games and I played Splinter Twin games where like oh I can just kill you this turn by just 
regularly. I don't have to combo. All this work I've been doing to combo has just like mm -hmm. whittled you down slowly enough that like, oh, I can just snapcast a lightning bolt you twice, you lose. It depends, and it always depends where the format's at because I remember yep. a couple years ago or a year and a half ago when the, when Grim Twin, the Lava Mancer V-Click version started getting very popular where and people would just main deck those cards. So it was essentially like hybridized, which then eventually became that Tarmo Twin deck that we saw in the top eight of Pro Tour Born of the Gods, where you're playing Tarmogoyf, and you're playing other just like pound-for-pound pound good cards to go with your twin strategy, so that, like you said, it's, it almost does play real magic. It threatens yeah. in a way that an inexperienced player that doesn't know what's coming might just... In game two, maybe they'll mill it incorrectly because they don't understand how aggressive you are, etc., etc. That deck took... The Tarmo Twin deck took massive advantage of that mana de uh, deficiency that... Splinter Twin just naturally creates where people are very scared to interact. You're just jamming Tarmogoyfs, and they're like, well, I can try and deal with this Tarmogoyf, and then I'm going to get twinned. And, you know, most of the time it was generally correct, at least in my experience, I, I literally just, you know, I never have it, so I just assume that they don't. Right. <laughs> and just, I'll deal with the problems that I know about, I'll assume their hand is all blanks, and we'll figure it out. And actually, like, it was a pretty EV strategy for me in most of the modern events I played in, because that deck, especially post-board, often sideboards lower onto the combo uh, to try and be a more mid-range deck, expecting people to bring in hate, such as the Torp Orbs and whatever that we've named. So you wind up with a, a mid-range rug deck, and it's like, that's a good strategy to play against if you're, like, expecting it. Right. And one of the reasons that I don't actually think that Tarmo Twin is a super, super good deck is because, A, uh, if you're getting rid of Kikis from the main deck to, to fit in cards like Tarmogoyf, which is, I think, what a lot of those lists Yeah, do, they, oh, they did. They just cut Kiki Cheeky. That means you've got four less copies of your combo, as well as the fact that if you have a Tarmogoyf in your opening seven, it's like mulling to six as far as getting the combo off. And, they, you know what I mean, when you have that many less pieces to draw and you're trying to make room for other things, the chances of you actually naturaling it are so much lower that an experienced player that knows that, just like you said, they'll just deal with the Tarmogoyf and make you work that much harder to draw your combo. I mean, I think I think this is a, a twofold. A, a, the Tarmo twin deck was a period of the time where not knowing that, it's very difficult to play against it. And no one did I mean, know about it. Even knowing really. it, like you're putting your opponent to a test with that deck. Right. You're literally like, I'm I am I could be two decks. You have to guess which one I am right, right. now. What am I and, doing? Figure it out. Yeah. Go. And, and the Tarmogoyf <laughs> yeah. really takes advantage of that mana situation by like you have to spend mana to interact with that. It will kill you in four swings, like almost right. every time. Right, right. Sometimes less. Now the and other the other thing is treasure cruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does hurt is treasure cruise <laughs> decks are now the majority of the format and treasure cruise decks in general, what they're trying to do is not very, you know, hurt by Tarmogoy from what he's trying to do, and also Treasure Cruise itself just it is like a weird random hate card against Tarmogoyf in general. Here's like, what I, let's let's just talk about Treasure Cruise for just a quick second in in in, in, in like relation to modern. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so here's something I look at. I go, okay. So the other one, Dig Through Time, right? Mm -hmm. It's a it's a rare mythic. It's a mythic. It's rare. a it's a rare. It's a rare. Okay. So they they look at that and they go, we're gonna print this rare card selection delve card, right? Right. And then they go, but we're gonna make Treasure Cruise a common because we want people to look at it and not think it's that good because it's a common. But it's like, what if they had made Treasure Cruise a rare? Well, would you, well, would we, would we well, all looked at it right away and gone, this is amazing? I well, mean, yes. I looked at both and thought they were both very good. I mean, I mean, so it's hard for me to answer that question. <laughs> I was My response when they told me what that card was was, really? <laughs> <laughs> so the thing you have to think about is they only care about limited and standard, really. And in limited and standard, Dig Through Time is a better card. Just, just. I mean, I think it's just it's objectively a better, a better card. Like, yeah. I would want the the best two of my top seven over a random three off the top right. in almost every single deck. If I if all other things are equal, True. obviously in this case all things aren't equal. Right. You're it paying an extra mana. Yeah, yeah, the extra mana in these Delver decks and the and and in combo deck, um, ascendancy deck is 
so much more important than the difference of card selection you're available. Mind you, Twin is playing Dig Through Time now, if it's still, you know, if Twin is still a deck, which I fully believe it probably is one of the few things Certainly that's Certainly a, a better one, it, but... It, it is now better, and it is better for it because of this. Another thing that makes the Tarmo ver variant of it worse. Um... I do think actually that the blue white red one it didn't get as hit or hurt by yeah. these changes. Well, I agree, and the, and the biggest the biggest reason for that is uh, because the interaction that I see in the blue white red version is that when you play Wall of Omens on turn two and you get a Kiki Jiki on the table, it's pretty darn good to start cloning your Wall of Omens oh, yeah. mid game mm -hmm. before you have the combo. That's why to me that's so powerful. Well, on my oh, list, definitely I, Wall of Omens is the deck is the card that I'm like this is the reason to do it is because it's such a value engine. And the other thing is, as you said earlier. Blue White Red twin decks had a huge problem against Jund. That was kind of one of their worst matchups. And Jund isn't gone. It's not gone completely, but it's way less of a thing. It has taken another blow, and you yeah. have also once again gained a new weapon. Right. You get uh -huh. dig through time. And and one other, you know, good interaction is one of the problems with you know, um, Deceiver Exarch and Pestermite, arguably, is that they're not the most powerful you know, they're not the most powerful creatures on the planet. By themselves, Deceiver Exarch is not the best. This deck gets to play Restoration Angel, which is one of the most powerful creatures in the format that with Kiki-Jiki also just goes infinite and you win. Yeah, Resto Angel in the deck lets it do the same thing we were just discussing, Tarmo Twin, where you get to actually pressure the opponent very legitimately and, and strain their mana while also threatening to combo them. Resto Angel actually does it on both ends, of course, Part because it could actually yeah. combo them itself, but it's also a 3-4 flying beatdown that doesn't die to bolt. You know, that, that has Flash, that, that does things with your Wall of Omens, yeah. you can draw cards with it, it can save your... Uh, Deceiver X or nothing if, if they use removal on them. Like, it, it does a lot more things that Tarmogoyf... It does a lot of things above and beyond what Tarmogoyf does, Tarmogoyf does without getting hit right now by the things that Tarmogoyf got hit by. How did Restoration Angel... I mean, I know you and I were on board with this because we both bought, like, 12 cards. Oh, yeah, I bought, like, 50 of the <laughs> yeah. card when I got spoiled. Yeah. I was like, that card is better than any other person has thought about yeah. it possibly could be. How did everybody miss on that? And it was, like, a $4 card when I got... When it I don't know. I lived in a city where nobody missed, so... Right. Well, well, part of that also was the fact that it was a... Um, buy a or it was a release promo or a buy-a-box promo? It was a, a buy-a-box promo. So, so a lot of times, especially then, people didn't really realize that buy-a-box promos don't really affect the price of cards as much as other promos that were being released. Yeah. And part of that was because this is around the era where the Wizards was also, like, Warm Coil Engine was a pre-release promo. Yeah, right. And so, like, the power level of some other promos and how bad they did Emerical. led you believe that everything was kind of that way. When, you know, it's also a weird creature. It, it's very dependent on the fact that other creatures, you, people think that you need to have something that you flash. with it. It's you, a 3-4 flyer in white for 4 that right. has flash. White doesn't get flash 3-4 yeah, flyers. It's plenty good on its own. Oh, yeah, that, my, my, but most people think, like, oh, it has to, you have to blink something, otherwise yeah. it's not good. But it doesn't. You can just play a 3-4 flyer for flash and have a great day. That's what we call a free roll, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really it good. It's not a requirement. It, it's kind of, it, it, it's the same test that Snapcaster Mage pilots also kind of never consider a lot yeah. of the time, which is like, there is times where you should just play it on turn two as a 2-1 flash and start getting in there for damage. This is what we were talking about. The, right. Whatever event that was, if it was Worlds or whatever, where, where Finkel and Kibler were playing that Geist deck, with, and they their play, most games, if they had a snap, was at end of turn, if they didn't leak, was just play Snapcaster yeah. on turn two, end of turn, to just put two damage on the board. That might seem not intuitive, but not only do you get the damage, you're playing your Geist decks, so you're pretty aggressive, but the 2-1 snap on the board gives you defense against Liliana if they don't have an immediate bolt yep. uh, for the snap, so you can play Geist, and if they untap into Liliana Veil, you have a guy to throw away. Right. Really huge swing. 
against all of the combo decks, the Snapcaster's flashback is actually not going to be that relevant because the combo decks will outmana you. That's yeah. that's their job. <laughs> like, that's how they get you. Well, I, I think actually that plan now is even more relevant than it used to be because with Tempo Delver decks being the main bad guy in the format, being aggressive and being able to kind of throw in their life total is now way more important than it ever has been. The mm-hmm. issue with the uh, the Tempo Delver decks being so many of them are actually, now that they're inbreeding against each other, you know, you have Forkbolt and Gutshot to contend with. So right. <laughs> Snapcaster Mage himself, highly vulnerable to all these spells, but at the same time, you know, the spells have to kill something. Like, they're there for a reason. <laughs> so now that we've kind of covered the different versions of Splinter Twin and what its kind of game plan is, you know, as always, I kind of want to break down the gauntlet. The gauntlet for what this deck is going to possibly have to face or what's left of the format and what it needs to face. So the first, um, as generally, Birthing Pod. Now, I think Birthing Pod is much worse than it used to be because of the fact that the format is less volatile to it, but you still need game plans against it because the one thing that Pod has is... You mentioned before, playing hate cards is hard, but potting hate cards into play, sneaking them into play is a little bit easier of a way to fight these decks. Especially if they're creatures that are mm-hmm. going to be presenting a clock as well as hating you. That's a way different right. thing. For When you're playing Torpor Orb and they have to just bounce your Torpor Orb, that's fine for them. When you're playing yeah, something... They, they, they can do what they're doing anyways and just build up the card advantage they need to eventually just kill you. Yeah. With Pod, it's, you're beating me down, you have um, Voice of Resurgence... You know, your flash spells are now way worse than they used to be. Hmm. They're putting on a clock. They can play cards that make it so you can't play, like, two spells a turn. So you're also, your counter spells so you can, count, like, protect the thing you're doing from their Abrupt Decays or Path to Exiles or whatever they're playing is hard. They have main deck Quasali Pride Mage. Like, all of these cards are very good against you um, if they're just doing their thing. And so it is kind of a difficult conundrum to face. I think well, it's a difficult matchup to face as a pure combo deck. Uh, I think that in that matchup, you want to transition into that tempo role where you're trying to basically be like a bad Blue Red Delver deck. Uh, because Blue Red Delver is one of the best decks against Pod. Right. So that's a great place to be. Like, even a bad Blue Red Delver deck is a pretty decent deck against Pod. Linval is also really, really good. And Linval makes right. Twin not work. Right? Yeah. 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 And yes. it's a 4 4, correct? It's, it's a, a 3 4, four. but yeah, same Can't difference as far as both yeah. goes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, that's definitely one of those cards that, like, you're licking your chops if you're, if you're a pod yeah. player getting that card in play against Twin. Right. right? Yeah. Do not deal with it easily. I, I don't think the matchup's, like, quote unquote bad. I think it's pretty even ish. Right. And Pod's not a deck that's going anywhere uh, in the wake of Treasure Cruise because it's one of the few decks that can actually keep up with Blue Red Delver. Right. Uh, Orzov Pontiff gives you an out against Young Pyromancer just owning the table. Uh, and as long as you can contend with Delver of Secrets, which is a very problematic card, uh, you can actually be in reasonable shape. Like, the matchup is not hopeless. Uh, I still would, you know, rather be casting the Cruises than the Kitchen Finks, but that's me. Are people playing me. Volcanic Fallout yet? Uh, I saw some at the, the 5K that I was uh, at this weekend, Seems yeah. pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> it is not bad, but, I mean, at the same time, they are a burn deck, and you take the two, and it can kind of get you. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. So if that's, if that's Pod, are we recovered Pod, roughly-ish? Yeah. Fine. yeah, yeah. So the Delver-Delver, or the, uh, the Delver matchup... Um, that's that's kind of tough, isn't it? They're, they're going to have stop permission for you, and they're going to put a clock. Yeah, Delver is... I mean, I think Blue Delver is far and away the best deck in Modern right now, having like actually watched the matches play out uh, in this lawless wasteland that we currently live in. <laughs> uh, but it, it really is... Uh, I was talking to Chris Anderson this weekend, uh, and he, he put it best when he said, Blue Delver is a legacy deck in the Modern format, and just nobody's caught on yet. And it really is, because I actually had my Blue Red Legacy Delver deck on me, and I realized I was only like... 
12 cards or something mm, short right. of like being able to and just field a modern lands, deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the free counter spells. That's the yeah. only thing that's missing, right? Yeah. It, the creature base is basically identical. Uh, you can play the Monastery Swift. You can play the Monastery Swift Spears or not. Uh, Snapcaster Mage doesn't generally get played in the Legacy variant, but that's because the spells are already so much more efficient. You have right. Ponders and Brainstorms. Uh, Snapcaster Mage essentially makes up that ground in the modern format. And then outside of that, you just play some other spells, like worse creature-oriented spells, because they're more creature decks. And you don't it, have force and days, and that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, but force you and don't, days there's nothing to force. Yeah, you know, yeah. Combo decks don't exist. I mean, I guess ascendancy is a problem, but even then, you're that's a good matchup. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, if they don't have a sewing care at it, they literally can't win. Right. <laughs> you're playing gut shots, fork bolts, lightning bolts, and snapping them all back. Like, so black green X is one of your prob- probably is your worst matchup, right? It still is for twin. I would expect. I mean, they get dig through time. And the Black Green X decks are going to continue to recede in the metagame. So, like, the matchup is only continue to improve. That is another matchup where you generally switch into the tempo role because you can get them. They don't have that many guys. Right. The Dark Confidants are very vulnerable to all of your removal. So you can burn those out. You can't get Liliana that badly since you can attack it reasonably. Uh, so it, it's tough, but it's okay. I also I also do think, like, as we mentioned, Dig Through Time, it does heal kind of your biggest problem against the deck, mm-hmm. which was, you know, Thoughtseize is a problem for you, yeah. along with efficient removal. And they can do as much as they want to the cards in your hand, but if you top deck a dig through time and you have enough lands in play and enough cards in your graveyard, you can combo that turn. You yeah. can just like cast five mana and six turn, cards. Get the two cards, you get the combo pieces that are probably going to be found with the seven cards you dig and just outright win on the next mm-hmm. turn. So, dig through dig through time is an instant? Yeah. Yeah. Treasure Cruise is sorcery. Treasure Cruise is sorcery. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some like pure combo twin lists that are like playing Thought Scour to enable additional delve and they play Dig and Treasure Cruise, you know, because Thought Scour is essentially a a dark ritual for Treasure Cruise (laughs) and it cantrips. (laughs) So Affinity, I think, is maybe one of your worst matchups, right? Or is it it not because it's turn four? I I think it's kind of coin flippy and it's kind of. Play draw, right? That's the huge question. Who the, gets... play, the player draw is important. The sideboard is very important because some twin decks sideboard more aggressively. Some also, like, whether you side out the combo or or go into the tempo roll. I think most of the time you just want to be on the combo, but, you know, I'm not the twin master or anything like that, so uh, I, it, it's a difficult matchup to sum up, I think. They're both very capable decks. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think it really is mostly just who's clocking it's, who. It, it becomes a race. It becomes who goes faster after the other person. I mean, Affinity does bring in cards like... Um, Your counter magic's really bad, so that's actually a pleasant no, 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 no. Uh, What's the 2-0-4 artifact creature? Spellskite. Uh, so Affinity does bring cards in like Spellskite, which have a decent matchup against you because they can grab um, the Splinter Twin when you cast it. So like Twin and Twin can't bolt it out, so it is a little bit more of a problem than they're normally used to facing. So It, it actually buys them, counters both plans. Yeah, and, and so it buys them the time they need to beat down your face, and it's an artifact creature, so it like is semi-relevant to what they're trying to do. But then Twin plays Twisted Image, which if you're going to go with the tempo plan where your 1-4 turns into a 4-1 and you draw a card for one mana, if you don't have to kill a Spellskite, you get a pretty decent advantage out of your sideboard as well. I mean, if that Spellskite blocks, you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, so yeah, it... it, it it does become much more of a, like, almost more of a fencing match where it's like, I'm going to bring in this sideboard card that parries your sideboard card, but then you're going right. to bring in a card that kind of helps you in that yeah. specific situation. So, like, it's a really interesting matchup. I do think that if both players are prepared and have next leveled themselves mm-hmm. to the fullest level, it just becomes a race. Well, the other thing is, if you, let's say you get to eight turns in that matchup. Twin will win in eight turns, right? So, the, 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 I mean, essentially, like, and... I just, mean, you, you have to assume, like, 
the affinity player doesn't have anything to say about it, you know, like, if they just have combust or whatever, and you're like, go for it, it's like, oh, well, all right, back to square one on that one. Right, I mean, the thing to remember is affinity is now playing four, four to five uh, copies of either, you know, Thoughtseize or Spell Pierce. Yeah. And those are cards that are generally good against you. True. And specifically, as we mentioned earlier, and one of the reasons they play Thoughtseize is for this matchup. It's, you know, yeah. I need to be able to stop the combo decks that are doing degenerate things, so Thoughtseize comes in, and it does offer a problem, but Dig Through Time also now kind of mitigates that. I game. think I think that Deceiver Exarch becomes one of your best cards just because the sure. just just because the tap ability and the fact that it's got four toughness to mitigate one turn's worth of damage or at least slow down a turn's worth of damage is definitely there, and it's uh, it almost can buy you a turn in, in the mid game against Affinity. Right? Oh, it definitely can buy it, you a it turn. It can def- it depends on the situation. I, I think I'd rather have the Affinity side of the matchup uh, unless you're doing something like splashing an Ancient Grudge in. Uh, which can be a pretty big game changer, but you know if they have access to two black mana, then you can't really use Exarch to dodge cranial plating anymore, which is a problem. Right. You have to start actually blocking, which is obviously not what you want to do because your blockers are combo pieces. Uh, and then the Infinity deck, they can have you know light hate, which is thought season spell pierce, like that's light. Yeah. And, and that's not great. Right. Uh, but if they go heavier with the spell skites and the torpor orbs, which they can afford to run in their plant main plan as well, uh, galvanic blasts, like they can get pretty deep and have a lot of interaction for you. So. I think in general I would just rather be on the Affinity player's plan because they get to be more aggressive and they're certainly taking the initiative no matter what. Yeah. Something we mentioned you know, in previous podcasts on this point, but and, and bringing back, you mentioned Ancient Grudge, which would be kind of what Tarma Twin would do, but really the best possible card for this matchup that just kind of wins it for you is Stony Silence and the blue-white-red deck plays four of them. Yeah, it can so, do that. Or not necessarily four of them, but it has complete access to that card, and bringing them in is something it would definitely do, and that just locks the Affinity player out of the out of the game. So the last deck we have on this list is Ascendancy. Well, as I said when we were talking about the very first modern uh, Pro Tour, you know, Twin is, generally speaking, an ideal combo deck when you're expecting combo, because it's the only one that can afford to interact. Uh, so cards like Remand and, and Mana Leak, if you choose to run those, are actually pretty good in this matchup. And obviously post-board, you have access to all of the same elements that they do, such as like Swan Song or whatever. So at, at that point, you know, they're basically trying to transform into a pseudo-twin deck themselves, where they have the ability to stop you from comboing them, and then can combo you, and you were just already starting there. And you also have the, you know, the, the Bolt-Snap-Bolt plan, which is why Blue-Red Delver can beat them so easily. If they don't threaten a Sylvan Carry at it, they actually shouldn't be able to combo you, generally speaking. They'd have to draw a pretty heavy density of creatures, and you'd have to brick pretty hard. So I, I think I would much rather be playing Twain in that particular matchup. And when we talked about Ascendancy last week, I kind of brought that same point up as well, where it's like Ascendancy seems like an insano deck that kills on turn three, but there are many matchups where it just doesn't actually seem that good. Right. And I kind of had that bear out watching the 5K I was at this weekend, where, uh, to my knowledge, there was not an Ascendancy deck in the top eight, and there were not very many in the field. Blue-Red Delver, super dominant, super favorable against Ascendancy, and that, and that just kind of makes sense. I mean, if you, like, the, yeah, it's like the cards that I, I imagine are taking, like Thoughtseize is really bad for it on turn one. Uh, and then also, if you're playing Twin, though, it seems like if you're on the play, one of the best things you can do with one of those tempo creatures is to flash in during their upkeep and tap down the Mana Dork that they've just played, which slows them down that one turn. That one turn advantage yeah. they're trying to gain from playing a Mana Dork gets you that one turn ahead to get your combo Well, no, I mean, if, if Ascendancy is in play and they untap with mana and they have a Mana Dork in play, they could just play any spell to untap the Mana Dork. But in the videos I've seen, play. every mana is so crucial just to, just to get the turn going that even if you're just down one from your plan, especially... They, sometimes they get ascendancy on turn two, but because the, the, of... The, the, the times that it, the mana is essential, I don't want to get too into ascendancy, but is the turn that you're trying to go off when you play ascendancy, 
But if you're if they play ascendancy on turn two or whatever and, and they can't go off and you untap their and all you do is tap their guard on their upkeep, but they have mana open, yeah, then it's not it's not a problem. It the guy. As long as they have mana open with ascendancy in play, that's not an issue. If you can tap it before ascendancy comes down, yes, that I guess could what shut I'm, them down. I guess what I'm saying is well, I mean you can also always just tap a land to deny them a mana hundred percent. Right, right. like, I mean I guess what I'm saying is that it feels like any any time I've ever come up with a, a theory deck in modern where I need to be playing something I have four copies of in my deck. Because it has seven copies of it. But Glimmering Wish still takes a turn to get it. So it still puts out that one turn behind mm. to get it out of the sideboard. So anytime that you ever have that card that if you draw it on turn one or two, it's fantastic. But if you don't, you take an extra turn to get it. Twins fast enough that if you tap that guy down the turn before they play Ascendancy, you should be able to win through yeah. your combo. And that's why I'm saying if you're on the play with Twin, it feels pretty favorable. If you're on the draw with Twin, I don't think it's quite as good. The, the, the issue comes down to if Twin can delay them enough to kill them, fine, but the moment that they can start doing what they're doing, they're favored to win. So yeah. If you, it really like if you draw down, two remands in your twin, I think you would win like the vast majority of the games. If you draw yeah. one remand, you would probably still be a favorite. Like, just not a huge, right. huge Which is favorite. why Delver is currently the best deck in the format, yeah, because it's playing all those cards. It has and, all those cards. Right. That's the thing, you know, we talked about in, in other matchups, twin can be a bad blue-red Delver deck. That's still quite a good deck right. in this matchup. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, makes sense. Alright, so that's kind of it for the deck deck of the episode today. Today is actually a very, very sad day. It is the last mm. day that Glenn Jones will be with us. I'm excited. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, it's the last day because I have been hired by Wizards of the Coast. If you follow me on social media, you might already know that fact. Uh, and we have approached the moment where I will be no longer residing in the City of Angels, uh, which means I'll be moving up to Seattle quite soon and getting ready to start work there. It's a so. beautiful place in Northwest. So for the interim, Ben has agreed, and hopefully you guys liked him, and when I look through editing, we'll decide if he's <laughs> worth sticking around. We'll be helping out, and we'll be uh, in the interim co-hosting for a couple episodes while we figure out what's going to happen. Um we hope Glenn has a lot of fun making us all the game that we all love playing. Me so too. now he gets to make it. So <laughs> instead of listening to him podcast, you get to just play with cards that he made. And never hear from me again. Never hear from me again. <laughs> um, I mean, we'd hope you could. The players yeah, eventually yeah. get him back here once in a while. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure out how everything goes. But, um, you know, as always, you can follow us at the Twitters and email us on the emails. Um, ben, your Twitter is... At Ben underscore Bateman. And to remind everyone, you know, VGHS is going on right now, so go check out the awesomest web series on the internet, along with the fact that Jimmy, uh, our friends from the Command Cast, or the Command Zone, our sister podcast, is currently raising money for his web series called Band-Aid. You can win a car and a jet ski. I just want Can you win ski. both? You, I think you can only, I don't know. I know that you get... I know now I'm going like, to find out. Right. I know if you donate to the 10,000 level, you get 100 entries into the pool, which I'd imagine means you can possibly get both. Um, so, you know, follow us on the internet, share with your friends, subscribe on iTunes, uh, and we will see you next week. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Glenn. See you later, alligator.